For the first six chapters of 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing specific reports that he's heard about the Corinthian believers. He's heard that there are factions in the church boasting about which apostle they follow. So he reminds them of how the gospel removes all basis for human boasting. He's heard that one man is living in bold, unrepentant sin. So he commands them to practice church discipline in the name of Jesus. He's heard that there are lawsuits between Christian brothers, and so he calls them to settle disputes within the community. He's heard that there is unchecked sexual sin in the church, so he reminds them that their bodies belong to God, who purchased them with the blood of Jesus. In chapter 7, Paul turns a corner, but only slightly. He'll spend the rest of this book responding to questions that the Corinthians asked him in a previous letter. And the first question is strongly connected to the topic he just addressed. If it's true that Christians should not be dominated by sex, wouldn't a life of celibacy be the best way to glorify God with our bodies? Is this something we should be talking about here? <laughs> Have you thought about that? Like, is this a conversation for church? It appears to be. And the Apostle Paul writes this letter, and you say, yeah, well, it's a letter. Yeah, it's a letter to a church. And it's actually more than just a letter to a church. It's actually like a dialogue. Paul's going to begin with the very powerful statement. Now, concerning the matters that you wrote about, most likely he is responding to something that they wrote about, about something that he had either spoken about or had already written to them about. It's a, it's a dialogue where the Apostle Paul is trying to explain to them the implications of what it means to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which means it's an ongoing conversation, this idea of being a follower of Jesus. It's just not something that happens one moment in time, but it's, no, a conversation. Now, it's not the kind of conversation where you and Jesus get to debate and come to a mutual agreement that Jesus is gonna have to give up on some points if you're gonna stick around. It's not that kind of conversation. But it's still a dialogue. And I want you to be prepared for that this morning. And not just because that the subject matter is complicated or difficult or awkward. It's more than that. It's not just awkward, it's important. It's not just important, it can actually be transformative. It changes the way that we look at one another and the way that we look at the world. It, it fundamentally, it changes everything. Now, now what does? Our view of sex? No. Jesus. Jesus fundamentally changes everything. I, I don't know where you get your news. Recently, there was an article that was in um, the Stillwater Globe. There, Christian and gay gets you expelled. It was an article that was picked up um, from the Stillwater News Press from the Joplin Globe about an institution that actually I'm very close to. And it was one part of the article, and I knew that they would go here, that I just kind of thought to myself, that explains a lot. It goes like this. Public opinion polls show that, that's really all I needed to read. Now hear me, I, I read the whole thing. But public opinion polls show that, yeah, that's why I feel weird now. Because <laughs> some of my views just aren't, like public opinion. It makes you feel strange and weird. Public opinion, although the polling system and the way that it works, um, they, 
the polls are, are different, but public opinion has been around for a really, really long time. And the Apostle Paul said to the church in Corinth, I know what popular opinion is. I know what public opinion is on sex and marriage. I know what public opinion is on homosexuality. I know what public opinion on is on how a man should act in relation to a wife. I know what public opinion on what a wife and how she'd relate. I know what those are. But let me explain to you like God's intent, and then let me explain to you how the gospel fundamentally changes that. Can I explain to you that? Like again, I, I don't, when I read articles like that, I, I've never been one, I probably have when I was younger, but I've really learned to not say, I don't care what public opinion says. You know the people that say that? I believe you're protesting a little too much. Now I think it's probably important for us to be aware of what public opinion says. Describes the culture in which we've been called to be salt and light. It's good for us to be aware and to know. But we didn't come to church this morning to just take a poll. I'm not going to have like a question on the screen and we're going to decide how we should treat one another based upon popular opinion. Now we're here to learn from the word of God. And it's going to shape us. And, and hear me, I get it. I totally get um, how complicated this book can be. I get the complications in terms of how it came to us. And I get the complication in terms of like how to interpret it and understand it in its historical and grammatical and literary context. Like I get it. But then this text begins to speak to us. Like it seems like whenever popular opinion speaks, not always, but it seems like a lot of the times like they get it wrong. Like there was popular opinion about owning slaves. There was popular opinion about women not voting. Now there's popular opinion about owning slaves and popular opinion about women voting. I just don't think one way or the other popular opinion is what changed the real reality of God's perspective and his opinion. And so I know that it's hard. I, I, I do, I swear to you, I know that it's hard. But I just want to ask you, like, did you come here this morning and some of you are going, listen, I just saw the text. This is my first Sunday here. Wow, you picked an interesting Sunday to join us. And I know you're thinking, but it's Palm Sunday. I didn't think you would do this one. So yeah, we don't, and maybe we could do a better job paying attention to the church calendar, but no, we're kind of more of a, let's just kind of walk through the Bible. Now next week we are going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. It's Easter and we're going to do that. But this Sunday we're gonna talk more about um, how to receive the triumphal entry of Jesus like in our hearts and in our minds. That's always appropriate. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Are you there? Look there. Before you do, a um, couple of things that we need to be very mindful of. Number one, the instruction you are about to read is instruction to Jesus' followers. Jesus' followers. And again, I never assume that that's everybody in this room. I never want it to be everybody in this room. I want this to be a place where people can come who are listening and seeking and investigating and just being brought because their parents are making them and because my wife or husband wants me to come. I love, I love all of those options. I just need you to hear this morning that like what we're listening to and what we're submitting to, those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, is a, a document that was written a long time ago by the Apostle Paul under the guidance and the direction of the Holy Spirit from God himself to a church that was ready to listen, at least those that were responsive. And so what you are listening into this morning are instructions to Jesus' followers. 
And if that's not you, then I need you to hear, like, this morning, the instructions that God is giving to this are actually those who've said, hey, we want to know who Jesus is and we want to follow him. Like, I want my life and I want my marriage to follow him. Like, I don't know about sex like I should. My dad never talked to me about the birds and the bees. And to be honest with you, when I was 12 and 13 and 14 and 15 and 38 and 39 and 40 and 49, I didn't want to talk to him about it either. Like, I don't regret it, mostly. I guess what I really regret, though, is I regret trying to figure it out by myself. Actually, I do regret the fact, although I would have just died if he would have talked to me about this. But man, I had so many questions and so many thoughts, and I brought those into my marriage. I had so many views and opinions that were probably more shaped by my junior high friends than my dad and my mom. Maybe, maybe he should have talked to me as much as I would have hated that conversation. Like maybe I needed to hear that. Is this appropriate place to have this conversation? I would actually argue it is an appropriate place. It is the right place to have a very honest and open and frank and appropriate conversation about this because we're all talking about it and the TV shows that we're watching are all laughing about it. And I would argue that it is shaping our views, marriage, divorce, remarriage, homosexuality, sexual activity, the, the right to my own body. All of these things are opinions and views that every one of us already have. I guess the question I want to ask is, who shaped those opinions? Who's the one that is actually speaking that you're listening? You can decide whether or not you want to say this, but I, I would like for those of you that are Jesus followers... To say this if you mean it. To say this text speaks to me. Just don't, don't say it yet. This text speaks to me. If that is true, say it. This text speaks to me. And so the question becomes like, are you listening? Like, are you, are you listening, like, with a gospel-shaped mind? We talked about that last week. Uh, uh, one that is willing to hear and then willing to respond. One that is willing to listen and then willing to speak. The very complicated and intricate truths about what this new life in Jesus Christ means. Because so many of us, again, know how to respond to those things that we learned and those things that we now know and those things that we now really know. And can we ever just allow the text to teach us to rethink those things, to re-know them in a different way, in a, and this is the kicker, like in a submissive way, like where the text is the authority, not you, not your experience, not your opinion, not me, not my experience, not my opinion. And I promise you, I get the complexity of that. That's why I don't want you to hear my words this morning as the final words. No, much like the text is going to teach, the Apostle Paul is going to say, hey, this is me speaking. It's really not the Lord. I want to give you some advice as, a, as an apostle, as one that you can actually trust. But this is me speaking, not Jesus speaking. Can I tell you what I would do if I were you? And then he says, and now let me speak like a word from Jesus. And then he speaks boldly. And both are good ways for for Paul to speak and for us to listen. For us to come and say, yeah, Paul, there's a lot that you can actually teach us about marriage and about sex. And then there's a lot more that Jesus can teach us. 
I also want you to realize, so not only are these instructions to Jesus followers, but listen to this. Number two is this. These are specific instructions to specific people in specific situations. Which means that um, Paul is not giving like the final word to everybody in every situation and nothing can be asked. No, remember I said it's a dialogue? Paul said, and then they had a question, and then Paul responded. And I guarantee you, this could have kept going on and on and on. Why? Because Paul, it's not that Jesus' words are up for debate, but as they're lived out, it is a dialogue. It is a conversation. So instead of becoming all defensive, well, Paul doesn't understand the situation that I'm in, my marriage. Although, honestly, he might not. But Jesus does. And Jesus gives us some instruction that we probably should listen to, don't you think? Like he, he does describe way up here, like the, what, in, what marriage was about and what sex and marriage, way up here at the highest level, what that is like and what that is about. Like that is so critical that we know. Why? So that when we get down here in the weeds and the complicated nuances of what it's like in your specific situation, that we can have some well-intended I don't know, maybe it's better to think of it down here, like a well-intended foundation that we can then build upon. Instead of, well, listen, do you know what I think we should do? You know what I would do? Well, let me tell you about the experience I had. Like, does anybody want to hear a word from the Lord today about marriage and sex? Because if not, like, what's your plan to go, go back and ask your junior high friends? Do you remember that? Do you remember the advice that they gave you? The worst advice ever. And don't say, yeah, but high school, really? College, really? No, but honestly, we can keep on going. It doesn't matter. It's not 12 and 13-year-olds that don't get it. It's like those who've not been informed by the word of God and have had to wrestle with this. So this is a specific text written to specific people in a specific situation, and, and your life might be different. Which doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. What it actually means is that if you are beginning to wrestle with this text, instead of throwing it out and instead of ignoring it, why don't you seek wise biblical counsel? Like under the direction of the word of God, spirit of God, and people of God, like why don't you reach out and say, can I tell you about the specific nuances about my previous marriage or the current marriage that I'm in? Can we begin to kind of talk about this? And this is the beauty, the ongoing beauty of a conversation under the wise counsel of spiritually mature people who are being directed by the very much alive Holy Spirit and the very much living word of God And then I genuinely believe that by his strength and for his glory, he will speak to us. And I don't know if we'll get it perfect. I really don't. But I do know that positioning ourselves like that, posturing ourselves like that, where we're learning and teachable, is a whole lot better than you and your friends trying to figure it out. That was never the way God intended. It was never the way God intended. The text goes like this. Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote, again, there's a dialogue going on here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It's where it begins. Previously, I wrote to you, and it sounds like that while Paul is in the city of Ephesus, they have responded by sending over some people, it appears, sending over some people and saying, listen, we need to go on. We need to have some more about this. Really, it's, it's about sex and marriage. You need to remember that the context in which the Corinthians are living had some pretty weird views about sex and marriage. 
Like not only were there those that were very freedom oriented, like licentious, meaning that there's no rules, no rules, no regulations. There were a lot within the Greco-Roman world that were just saying, man, let's enjoy this. The word hedonism literally meant that life was meant to be enjoyed and experienced and that which we eat and that which we enjoy sexually was just the way that our bodies were, were meant and therefore we should sit down and think about and contemplate and then explore the furthest limits of what the human body can experience and enjoy. Yeah, you thought that was new? No. That's old. Solomon talks a lot like that actually. But that way of thinking, that's an old way of thinking. That's kind of rolling around inside the minds of these saints, these new believers in Corinth. Is that, is that, is that how we're supposed to live our lives? You need to, re- need to realize that like contextually, like marriage existed, but majority of them were picked out by a mom and a dad on who that they, their children should marry. And the reason for sex, particularly within marriage, was so that we could have children. Why? In the Roman world, the understanding of a wife was to provide legal heirs. Oh, that's, that's Andrea's responsibility? That's her job? Yeah. Like, where else are you? How are you going to hand off your house or your business? You have to have a wife in order to pass on legal heirs. Okay, but what about the, rec- the rest of my sexual urges and recreation? Well, the Roman world said, hey, enjoy. That is where you need like some, some great people in your lives. And, and, and that's what slaves can be used for. For sexual release and enjoyment. Like that's what street prostitutes and temple prostitutes can be for. Like that's what extramarital affairs are about. Those are the ones that are the most exciting anyway. And so there was this strange world that existed within the Roman world. Which was particularly with men. But just like today, um, women were quickly advancing in their freedoms as well. That wives, that marriage for itself was more of a legal requirement. I mean, we got to act civilized, right? This would have been rumbling around inside of their mind. So you have that kind of that freedom, do what you want, and then those people come to Jesus Christ. And you have to admit, you don't just look at the cross and go, you need to stop sleeping with the person that you're not married to. You don't look at the cross and just figure that out, do you? Like you don't. Like, I need help connecting those dots. And the Corinthian people did too. I need help connecting those dots. The second thing that was happening was there was within, like, Greek philosophy schools, there was this new movement. Plato talked about this. We, we need to be, like, somehow, like, detached from our, from our urges. That there is something powerful and freeing within the mind to say no to ourselves. That if we don't give in to our urges, whether that be food, the food is for stomach and the stomach is for food. Paul just recently talked about that in the Corinthian material. Then maybe that's also true for sex. Like even within marriage. Like, like maybe, maybe how we should live our lives. Can you imagine? I think this would be a good idea. They look at Paul's life. He's single. They look at this new way of looking at stuff. And they're seeing within the Greco-Roman world, Greek philosophers saying, listen, like sex for pleasure and all of that, like that can be a distraction. We all know it can be a distraction. 
Like maybe even within marriage. Like if, if, if there's not like procreation going on, then, then maybe we should just stop it so that we can just focus on higher and more noble and loftier things. And Paul needs to address that. What's interesting is, is that I can actually see like parts of both of those cultures. Man, just enjoy yourself. No, it's, if it's not dirty, it's kind of dirty. If it's not wrong, it's kind of wrong. It, it's something that we, you know, we don't like really talk about, which by the way, I would even argue that sex needs an appropriate context to talk about it. We've gone from this Victorian, shh, let's never talk about it, in which case, like our sexual temptations just went underground, to now, man, let's talk about it. Like it's really cool now for a lot of my preaching buddies around the country to talk about it all the time and we're gonna have a series on great sex and we're gonna do all this stuff and I'm, I'm going, wow, like we got it wrong and I, I think we're still getting it wrong. It's good to just approach it like when it comes and here it, it happened to the Apostle Paul about the matters that you wrote about and so this is a statement that they have made to him. I, I know that um, it might be kind of weird. You might look at this and go, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman <laughs> and go, who's saying that? Is that Paul saying that? Uh, the matters of which you wrote about, period, Paul going, hey, I just want you to know that it's really not good for a man to have sexual relations with a woman. Is that how I should read that text? No, actually not. Majority of people, in terms of the way that the Greek words all line up, say no. This most likely, like most, most, most likely, is a comment, particularly from what Paul's about to say here. This is actually not what Paul is saying. This is what they are saying to him, and Paul is addressing the subject matter. He's wanting them to know like, the truth about God's plan and about God's intent. And it's interesting, the word sexual relations actually can be more literally translated touch. It's good for a man not to touch a woman. That's a euphemism. A word that we use instead of the other word. Like sexual relations is actually not the word that is in the Greek text. It literally is the word for touch. Now here's why that's important. Because that, that word for touch is actually meant as a, as a euphemism for like find pleasure in and enjoy. It's not just touch. It's like touch in such a way where it focuses on the pleasurable aspect of sex. What, what the text is really saying is it is good for a man, and it would imply then also for women, to not seek and enjoy sexual expression and sexual release. Like it's better to kind of bury that down deep or to be distracted far from it. Like isn't that better for us? And the Apostle Paul is going to answer that. Paul says in verse two, in, in essence, no. Like it, it's not good. It's not good to, to ignore that. that. That doesn't get you anywhere. We'll see some other texts in which he describes that. But Paul says in verse two, like, like there is a context in which we now live and to try to ignore that is so foolish. That's why to try to pretend that sex isn't like a complicated subject this morning would just be irresponsible for me. Like you couldn't tell, Jim, that that was a complicated subject? No, I knew. I knew. That's why my dad didn't want to talk about it. Verse two. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, literally, because of the sexual immoralities, plural, because of all of the temptations and all of the sexual immoralities that exist, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have 
her own husband. Have. Like, what does that mean? It, it sounds possessive, doesn't it? Like, to have. Like, I have. I have, a, I have an Andrea, and Andrea has a gym. Man, Jim got the better of that deal, don't you think? Actually, that's not the word there for have. It, it doesn't mean possess. It's very interesting. Paul will continue to, to talk about very personally and intimately that that word there actually to have means to enjoy. It kind of goes back to the idea of touching. Like it's actually, he says what? Because of the temptations, each man, each husband should have should enjoy his own wife, and each woman should enjoy her own husband. And by the, the way, like the word there is kind of in that context of sex. Like this is the way that God intended it to be. So don't think, please don't think that somehow sex is this one thing that it's all-encompassing and it's all that life is about. No, that's wrong. And don't think that it's nothing. Like so many complicated subjects it's not everything and it's not nothing. What is it? It's the appropriate place that God has um, given us so that husbands and wives, that men and women can experience something that is on the one hand very natural and normal and it has procreative as well as enjoyment principles and benefits. I'm sure you're aware that sex, that sexual intimacy doesn't just have a function, it gives us children. If that's true, then why did God make it so pleasurable? Can you see God's hand in this? Can you tell how it's just different? Can you tell why, that's why like sexual harassment seems so like negative. Like um, sexual exploitation. Wow, that's, that sounds terrible. Like, that's why, like, words like exploitation or manipulation or, like, rape sound so offensive. Why? Because sex is so, like, intimate and personal. It's so valuable and important, and it has this place. And so Paul is actually pointing out, like, there is a, a context, a place where God has described this. And so I want you to know that it is God's plan for a wife to enjoy and to enjoy her husband, and it is right and proper, and you're no more spiritual when you're married to somehow divorce or to separate, interesting word, divorce or separate sex from your marriage. Because of the immoralities, it's not going to make you more spiritual. If anything, it's going to make things more complicated. Verse 3, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. And likewise, the wife to her husband. And then verse four, this is why like authority matters so much in terms of the text, okay? Now, th this is one of those ones, I promise you, everybody's gonna be like, you know, this is the one where it's like, man, I'm so glad my husband or wife, most likely wife, was, was, here, to, was, was here to hear this this morning. Okay, then can I just tell you, you've missed the point of the text. Your wife isn't the only one that needed to hear this. No, every one of us needs to hear this. This morning it was full of like um, junior high and, and high school students. So I'm so glad they heard that this morning. Well, I, I hope you weren't so important or you, or you were so excited about the importance of having young people hear it that you missed the instructions to you. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but her husband does. Now, by the way, in the Roman world, that would have made total sense. 
wife does not have. But, but you need to remember that most times, the wife was the one that was most interested in sex because she was so interested in having children. And sex was something that she experienced when her husband wanted children, and if not, he went wherever he wanted to go. And so Paul begins with this statement. It's, it's the way that it works. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And then he says something that would have just shocked them. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. What? You're telling me, wait a second, Paul. You're telling me that what my husband does when he goes down and, and, and sleeps with prostitutes, like what he does, you're telling me like he can't do that because his body is mine? Like in the end, we're like, I can't believe Paul said that a, a wife's body is not her own and that it's her husband's. That is so typical male. That is so exploitive. You know, that's where abuse comes from. No, it actually isn't where abuse comes from. No, abuse comes from people who want to exploit this text for their own purposes, who don't listen to the whole text, who don't put it in the context of God's ultimate plan and desire. Listen to what it said. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. The husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. It is this countercultural, radical, mutual submission. Nobody wants to hear that. No, men are going to line up on one side and, hey, you know what I want you to do? And then women just say, okay, fine. If you, and then we're going to line up on the other side. Well, you know what you should do? And both of those attitudes are sinful and wrong and destructive. They draw battle lines instead of actually asking, hey, how, Andrea, how, how can I serve you? And I know this sounds weird, like with my body. Because this isn't mine. How, how can I serve you? I don't know, Jim, how can I serve you with my body? Oh, I have plans, baby. <laughs> right? Yeah, I can think of some things. Like, this is the joy of sex. Like, I can think of some things. This is the part that just, it does. It gets a little awkward. It gets a little complicated. And I'm so glad she's hearing this. Yeah, are you listening? Like maybe one of the reasons why sex is so complicated, it's because of your sexual past. Oh, you don't want to talk about that. Like it's, it's the times where she's caught you like addicted to things like pornography. It's the times where you have been unfaithful. Can we talk about that? No, don't want to talk about that. Oh, okay. You just want me to tell her that it's, like do you realize that's why all of us right now, every one of you should see you. You're just looking straight ahead, right? Do not look, do not look. I get it. That's why we've got to be so careful. I hope that you can hear in the spirit of this text, like this isn't just a text that Andrea needed to hear this morning. This is a text that Jim and Andrea, who used to be like independent people, and before we got married, we could do whatever we wanted, like under God's direction and plan. Like th this is why it was good for me. You know, the one thing that my dad did tell me about sex was that like, those people that I engage with sexually, like that's how God considers something that should exist in marriage, which the Apostle Paul says. Like I just, when I was younger, when I was 14, I don't know much I thought like this body right now belongs to someone somewhere and I don't know who she is and I probably should be careful about how I use this. 
Like I never really thought through that. It was funny, one of my sons, I won't say which one it was because it was Mackenzie, my middle one, and he hates it when I use him as an example. But I remember when he came home and he was so excited because Olivia, his wife, um, he was in love and he brought it up. He said, Dad, I, I now know what you mean when you would tell me things like, son, be really careful about how you use your body and about sex and about pornography and about all these things because one day you're going to meet someone and you're going to realize that your body really isn't yours, it's actually hers and it's a gift that you will give to her willingly and, and you're, you're gonna have to have a conversation, son, and I hope you're going to be honest about it and God's forgiveness is big and we'll be able to move beyond a lot of our past, right? Isn't that the joy of the cross and God's grace? Like we don't just hold on to those things. Like the grace is, of God is enough for us to overcome any sin and any obstacle before or in or after, all that, all that marital goop or problems. And he said, Dad, I, I now know what you mean. I knew it would come. I knew a day would come. So I love asking like young people when they're all excited about, I'm getting married. And I ask them, how many people do you wish your spouse, your husband, your wife, to be? How many people do you wish um, he or she gave themselves fully emotionally or sexually to? What number? You know, one of the highest number I've ever heard? Zero. I've never had anybody say, oh yeah, I totally wish my wife got around. Like I totally wish that. Even emotionally, like even relationally, I've never had anybody say, man, I so wish my wife was more experienced in this area. I'm not saying dating's wrong. I'm just telling you, like, God has a natural intent for us. And my body is Andrea's, and Andrea's body is mine, and that's what it means. That's the mutual submission. Now, you may have blown it. Thank God for the cross. Thank God for a new start. And so Paul continues on. Look at verse 5. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Listen, if you want to have a time where you're actually devoted on other things, I get that. Like, I get that it can be complicated, and I, I get that there might be a time. So if what you want to do is focus on prayer and fasting, then it's probably okay in your marriage context to just abstain from sex for a while so your energy can be focused elsewhere. I just have never met anybody that said, my wife has been praying and fasting for the last nine years. Or my husband, since he took this new job, has been so busy, he has been praying and fasting. For the, I've never heard praying and fasting as being the problem, ever. I've heard about a, a bunch of sexual dysfunction in marriages. I've never heard it associated with prayers and fasting, which is what the Apostle Paul does. The word agreement is in bold. You know what that word is? It's the Greek word for symphony. Like in harmony. Like, do you understand God's intent? God's intent sexually is for husbands and wives for it to be a symphony when it comes to sex. I know most of us just sound like not amazing grace, but amazing grace. Like it sounds out of tune. Like the beauty of this is that this is God's intent. But just in case you might think, listen, all of this 
has such a tremendous value of importance that if we can just figure out a way to, to remove this, let's just, let's just not talk about it. I mean, I remember times in our marriage, can we just not talk about sex right now? I'm just tired of the subject coming up over and over and over again. Can I just say, like, did that work? Like, did that fix frustrations or problems or difficulties? So you know what God intended was not for Jim to have his way, not, not for Andrea to have her way, but for Jim and Andrea, for the glory of God, to somehow, which begins with submission to Christ and then mutual submission to each other, for our marriage in every aspect of the word to be a symphony where we agree, where we make beautiful music together. Do you see how that's Paul's intent? Do you see how that just fits kind of naturally? I usually don't do this, but I feel like I need to do it here. Um, I'm not going to be able to finish this text. And instead of just keep unloading like I did in second service and even run a few minutes late, I'm just going to kind of draw a line there. Now, the good news is, is that the material, and next week we're going to come back and we're going to talk about Easter, but the material from here on out where Paul starts describing about to the married and to the unmarried and to those who are virgins still, and he begins to divide that up, he has that in a much bigger context about his desire for us to find our contentment in Jesus. And so can I just say that before you go home and pretend like I did not preach this text this morning, don't do that. And, and please do not use this text as a whipping post for someone right now who is already struggling. Be very careful how you use God's word. And can I just say one more thing? Like I really want to encourage you to seek wise and spiritual biblical counsel in these matters. Like you may not want to talk about this. I promise you that when these matters are completely neglected, you're usually sitting in Sharon's office having a conversation. She's our counselor. And I've never been in a situation where there's a marital problem where we haven't talked about this stuff. I'm telling you, it always comes up. It's God's plan and it's God's design. But it's meant um, to bring harmony, not disharmony. It's, it's meant to bring peace and joy, not, not frustration. And if there's any group of people that should be able to live like that, shouldn't it be those in the church who understand what it means, who, who know that Jesus Christ is our groom and we are his bride? Like, shouldn't it be us who not just have the best sex lives, but have the greatest peace of the way that God has made us and the way that we live in it? Let's pray. God, lead us. Change the way that I think about sex. Teach me the right context and place. Teach me to always be like submissive. Teach me to be patient with Andrea and her with me. God, may we be a safe place where we can have this real conversation and it doesn't feel dirty or wrong and it doesn't feel like forbidden and awkward. May we have the appropriate people that we can speak to. May God, this really be a text of healing and of new life and direction. And may it never be used as a stick. May it be used as words of healing and intention. May we submit to you, to your plan, and find peace and joy there. It's in Jesus' name we humbly pray. And all God's people said,